Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. And if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, today, as you may have noticed, we're going to have another red episode. What does that mean? Well, a red episode is a um, a podcast episode where we kind of focus on stuff that might be of particular interest to teachers or people who want to get underneath the language somehow, whatever that means. You know, something um, more uh, in-depth about English. And in today's case, it's very focused on teaching, teaching methodologies, different approaches to teaching, and, you know, really thinking about how we teach and what we can do to become better teachers. And today... We are going to talk, well, I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen to um, Ariel Goodbody. Ariel has a great podcast called uh, Easy Stories in English. But there is so much that we talked about today that I, I just can't begin to <laughs> summarize it. I think we should just listen and, well, you know what, I can try and summarize it. Here we go. Uh, we talked about uh, how Ariel started uh, Easy Stories in English. Um, we talked about a uh, teaching methodology that Ariel is very, very fond of called TPRS, Teaching Proficiency Through Reading and Storytelling. Uh, we also talked about how we can use gestures in the classroom, uh, how to teach phrases and not grammar, how TPRS has a lot in common with uh, popular, more well-known teaching methods like dogma and lexical approaches, things like that. Um, how the word for school used to be the same word as the word for game. And what does that mean? How, how, how does that uh, inform our teaching? That's quite an insight. Um, why, we also talked about why storytelling is beneficial to learning, um, how to use stories to even help uh, business English students. Um, and I also asked Ariel for two tips for English teachers um, to get out there and, 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 and really improve and get better and, and become awesome teachers, which we all want to do and we all strive to do, I'm sure. So, yeah, I mean, this is a big uh, talk about methodology, approaches to learning, but don't, like, run away and think it's too technical or anything. But this is a very casual conversation, and um, I think we can all learn a lot from it. I know I did. There was a lot of things here that I'd never really thought about before. So, yeah, without any further ado, let's just uh, get straight into it. And here, here we are, my conversation with Ariel Goodbody. Let's get started. First of all, do you want to uh, tell us who you are and what your story is? And um, yeah, give us a brief introduction. Who's Ariel? Ariel? Well, uh, <laughs> I am Ariel. Um, I'm 27 years old. I'm a language teacher and writer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if what order to put those in, to be honest. I'm mm -hmm. kind of half and half at the moment. Mm -hmm. So um, I studied linguistics at university. 
Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't do the module on language acquisition, how we learn languages, but languages has always been something that's really fascinated me and I've learned a lot of them. And then after I graduated, I tried to make a living as a self-published romance author for a while. Um, oh. I'm not going to tell you my pseudonym because those books have quite... Um, let's say, raunchy <laughs> demographics <laughs> and covers. So I don't want to, I want to keep my brand identity separate. So I, I had a go there. And I, and it, I, you know, it went okay. I made about $2,000 over a few years publishing a few books. So bad. I can't say it was a complete failure. Yeah. But um, I realized that I needed some, I needed some kind of more stable work to support me while I worked on writing projects. Mm-hmm. So I decided to try teaching and I did a CELTA, mm-hmm. which is, I'm sure you know, but if anyone listening doesn't know, it's like a, uh, well, certificate in English language teaching for adults. So it's like a TEFL course. And I loved it. I really, as soon as I started teaching, I was like, oh, I love this because uh, I'd done a lot of like youth theater and stuff and student theater. So mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of ways, teaching is kind of like a performance. And um, I definitely enjoyed that sort of side of it and leaning into that. And um, then as I was studying it, I read up more about, you know, the theory and the scientific evidence. And I kind mm-hmm. of formulated my own approach to teaching. And I discovered this teaching method called TPRS, which is all based around using storytelling to teach and then uh, about a year, maybe a, I'm trying to think, maybe about a year into teaching, um, I, I'd wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I knew I wanted it to be something related to languages. I wasn't sure if it was going to be something for learners or not. And then this idea just kind of came to me. It was like, well, why don't I combine these two things? I love language teaching. Mm-hmm. I love storytelling. And what what would be a great format for that is, you know, short stories for learners at different levels. And Mm. kind of the idea just came to me. And, you know, when you have an idea where you're just like, oh, yeah, you know, no, no doubt about it. I'm doing that. You, you so get, I started, yeah, and you just sort you just sort of react by going, oh, of course, <laughs> of course, uh-huh. that's what I should do. I, yeah, sorry, exactly. I relate to that completely. Sorry, go on. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, so I started uh, Easy Stories in English on mm-hmm. um, New Year's Day, twenty nineteen. Oh. Um, I I launched it in the new year, and I went in with really low expectations because. I know there's so many different resources and stuff for English. And obviously there are the famous ones like uh, ESL with Luke and stuff. But then, you know, there are are loads of other ones like your website, for example. There's really so much content out there that I maybe thought, well, is it really going to catch on? Will Mm -hmm. people get it? That was actually one of my big worries. It's like, well, are people going to actually want to learn with stories? Or are they going to... Because I know a lot of students, they have kind of an attitude of... um, well, I'm, I need it for work, so I have to learn in a serious way, which is really <laughs> the opposite of how mm-hmm. I do. I'm very sort of uh, wacky. Um, I relate to that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it brings a lot of... Um, you've got to bring some fun to the classroom. Absolutely, and engagement as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I started it, and uh, it was pretty successful at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, people are listening. And then I would say around... 
July, August time last year, it really started to kick off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had thought before, I was like, well, maybe at some point I'll launch a Patreon. But I went, I went all in with that in September, I believe. Um, and since then, it's just been growing and growing. So we now have, so I do a story every week. I now have a, a weekly live stream. I have a weekly newsletter. I do YouTube videos. And I just started like a group chat on Telegram, which has got almost 200 people. So people just love talking and talking with the other listeners, interacting. Yeah. It's been a really, and loads of people have sent in stories as well. It's just been a fantastic experience. Oh, really? really... Oh, fantastic. So learners have mm. also sent in their own stories. Yeah. So a lot of them send in like, oh, this is like a legend or a, sh- a story from my country. Oh, so cool. um, that's been really great. And then some recently, actually, I had two people sending quite personal stories so one mm. of them was a listener from India who's um, who's a nurse and, and wants to come and work in the UK. So she's been training, learning English for her to do it, to get her IELTS so she can um, migrate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she had a very moving story about, you know, how much work she put in and she failed her exams, but she's still really motivated to keep going. And then the other story I have was from a student who's... Um, blind but listens to the podcast and finds it really helpful and he is really motivated to study abroad and it's just the kind of thing where you read it and you're like oh my god like i have no right on you know people mm. clearly identify this and like who am i <laughs> i'm just someone making a podcast in my bedroom yeah so, but you're, yeah. you're reaching out to people people relate to you obviously you resonate with people and that's great like that's and you can build a community on that and that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic um just for people, for the uninitiated, where can where can we all find you? Where where should we oh, go to? to of course, to, to, <laughs> yeah. To find you can tell I haven't stuff. done many uh, interviews yet. Uh, <laughs> so it's easystoriesinenglish.com dot com. Cool. Uh, for the website, you can all, find the podcast there. All one word. Easy stories in English. All, all one word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that has links to everything. But the way most people find me, I think now is through Spotify. Mm. Actually, I'm curious. If you, I think, if you go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you search, or even maybe Google, and you just search stories in English or easy stories English or something like that, it should come up near the top. Cool. That's pretty good. Yeah. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Good good progress. Yeah. Cool. So um, easy stories in English or any uh, .com or... Well, iTunes and Spotify, Easy Stories in English. All that's, good that's, podcast providers. Yeah. yeah. Any, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, exactly. Cool. Well, great. Good stuff. Um, you mentioned, you said you, you started looking into TPRS, which is a, you said it was a sort of storytelling approach to teaching. Is that, is that mm-hmm. right? Oh, before we get going, just, uh, just so you know, um, I don't know if you noticed that the, with our podcast, we have sort of blue ones and red ones. And mm-hmm. the blue ones are basically lessons, you know, they're, they're very much directed towards students and learners. The red ones are for everyone, but they, the focus is more on either teaching. So we, we, we're probably going to have a lot, mm, lot of okay. teachers listening to this one. We're doing a red one. And, <laughs> and um, we're doing a red one. <laughs> we're doing a red one, which sounds euphemistic, but yeah. it's not honest. And <laughs> we can... Um, I thought that would free us up to be able to get into the sort of um, mm. the nitty gritty of like language acquisition and theory yeah. and stuff like that, because I think a lot of teachers and even some learners could be interested in that. Um, Absolutely. 
so yeah, with that in mind, um, yeah, tell me about TPRS. So TPRS, uh, I feel like sometimes I'm a spokesperson for TPRS because I have other teachers who message me on italki's teaching platform and they're like, oh, can you talk to me? And I, I will just do it for free because I just love talking about it. Mm. So it stands for Teaching Proficiency Through Reading and Storytelling. You probably have heard or you may have heard if you're a teacher of TPR, Total Physical Response. Yeah. It's... The reason they're so similar is because of, like, a copyright issue. So, um, if you don't know, total physical response mm. is kind of an older methodology that's based on using physical interaction with the body. So, for example, you'll get students to listen to commands in the target language. Like, you might tell them, okay, pick up your book, throw it around, dance on the table, <laughs> and they have to do all these yeah. things. And the idea is it builds this kind of physical link between the language and the body. Um, and TPRS, a lot of the ideas come from that, I think is certainly in the kind of the use of physicality, but it really broadens it much more and adds a lot more depth. So it's, it was invented by a teacher called Blaine Ray, who um, basically when he started teaching, he had an experience that many, many language teachers have where he tried to do the traditional route, you know, let's teach grammar, let's teach vocabulary, let's do songs about, the past perfect tense and stuff and all of that stuff and complete disaster. And he said, you know, he, um, I think he got, he got, he quit or got fired from several jobs. Mm. And at a certain point he was like, okay, this is not working. Let me figure out something that works. And I'm not sure if he did lots of research into the language acquisition theory first, but um, the, the theory that, that, that really is the core component behind TPRS is, um, Stephen Krashen's theory of comprehensible input. Uh, okay, okay. I plus one. Yeah. So basically the idea that in order to learn a language, you need input, which is reading and listening, and it needs to be comprehensible, meaning you need to understand it, right? So if mm -hmm. I start speaking to you in fluent Japanese, or do you speak Japanese? I don't speak any Japanese, no. So if I, if I, if I did start speaking <laughs> to you in fluent Japanese, you wouldn't learn anything. But if I hold up an apple and take a bite and I say, I am eating an apple in Japanese, you know, that's already making big steps towards comprehensibility. Okay. So, um, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this guy, can I, can I ask really quickly when, when this was all being developed, when this guy sort of. Yeah. Blaine. I, if I. Blaine Ray. Blaine. <laughs> Blaine Ray, yeah, mm. B L A I N E R A Y. Okay. Um, I think it was. It's not too long ago. I think it was about twenty years ago. Okay. Um, or fifteen years ago. It was really not that long ago. Um, and there had been other methods before based on Stephen Krashen's theories. Like mm -hmm. there was the communicative approach, which mm -hmm. he actually developed with some other uh, teachers. But um, TPRS kind of shook the whole thing up, and basically the idea is, um canonical tprs which is kind of how it was first uh theorized i believe it just contains three core steps so the first step is you pre-teach some vocabulary and it's really a, a small amount the idea is not to overload students with vocabulary mm -hmm. the idea is to teach a small amount of vocabulary and um teach it really well Okay, mm -hmm. and then you build up from there. So you maybe start with four or five items. Okay, mm -hmm. and they they might not just be words. It might be like a little phrase. Like for example, let's say you're teaching French. The phrase might be um, "assouri." 
which means smiled, right? But in French, it's two words. So you teach that as just kind of one thing. Okay. Um, and you maybe use gestures to, 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 to teach those. You, you probably use translation. That's kind of one of the easiest ways is you write the words on the board, you write the translation. Okay, so they're aware of what those words mean. And then after that comes um, PQA, which means personalized questions and answers, where just using those new words and, you know, maybe some question words, you try and basically build a relationship with the students. So let's say the words are uh, smiled. You you say, uh, or let's say smiling. You say, am I smiling? And mm-hmm. then the students have to say yes or no. And then you ask the students, is that other student smiling? Is this person smiling? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a picture of a poster on the wall. Is this person smiling? Okay. Mm. And it gets a bit silly. Um, obviously, if the questions, you know, if the words are things like, is, is someone happy? Then it can get a bit deep even. Even just asking simple <laughs> questions, is this person, is that person? It maybe sounds a bit simplistic but actually for a complete beginner in a language just being able to communicate with such a simple idea is quite a powerful thing Mm, and i think actually Um, i think you've hit a good point there as well because you know when we go about our sort of everyday lives we tend to do the same things again and again so the sort of things we mm -hmm. teach like elementary students we would also be teaching like intermediate and upper intermediate students you know like we all need to know how to talk about our jobs for example an elementary student might do it one way and an advanced student might do it another way, but we tend to need the same skills. We just need more like advanced levels of it. So I -hmm. like the sound of this because, you know, is he happy Um, with an elementary class might just be yes, no, I don't know. Maybe it depends. But then, you know, with an advanced class, you can get some probably some very interesting discussion Mm -hmm. rolling from that. Exactly. Yeah. And then after the PQA, you go into the main part, which is the story. Uh-huh. And there are kind of two ways of doing it. There's the, the, the very brave approach, which is you literally improvise a story. So um, the way you I do this with students, so they say, okay, uh, and, and a lot of it comes into the theatricality. But if you mm. go slowly and speak clearly and make sure the students are comprehending and you buy into it yourself, it's surprising how actually anyone can really do this. Mm-hmm. Where you'd say, okay, class. Okay, so maybe let's say the word is say, say, class, I'm really sorry, but this man, and then you draw a man on the board, like a stick figure or something. <laughs> so this man is really sad. Maybe you draw some tears and you say, oh, class, he's so sad. Look, he's crying. Oh, he's the saddest man in the world. But Why? Why is he sad? And then you get some ideas from the students. Why is he sad? They come up with some kind of problem. And then based on that, you can you can improvise a whole story. Mm. And the key thing is circling. So circling is like the other core component, which is um, it's a way of checking comprehension and recycling language. So you, you start, it's kind of like a stacked tier of questions. Uh-huh. So you start with like a a two answer question, a yes, no question, right? Is this, ma- is this man sad? And you ask maybe a student who maybe looks like they don't understand. They say yes or no. You see, they understand. Okay. And then maybe you understand, okay, this man is sad. Um, this man, so that the man is sad. He's at home. Ooh, uh, Bill, is he at home or is he at work? 
Okay, so then you're giving like two options. You say, okay, he's at he's at home. Okay, and um, oh Maria, where? So where is he? Where is this man who's so sad? Oh, he's at work. Okay, so then you're using the question、mm. word. So you're kind of building up from a yes no question to a question with two options to a a question word. And it but, sounds really repetitive, but there are ways of making it really of fun. Course, yeah, like you say, like、um, is this man sad or is Krusty the Clown sad? You know, you just bring in like famous <laughs> people, or like you say, like、uh, okay, the, let's let's pick a more interesting sentence. Like okay, the sad man is eating spaghetti. Is he eating spaghetti or is he eating?、Uh, I don't know. Shark brain, like yeah, something completely、nice. crazy, <laughs> and 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 once students get into it and they kind of they buy into it, like they're shouting out ideas. They're not worrying about what they're saying. They're just having fun. And then after that, based on the story, you can you can do a acting it out. You can get the students to draw comics. You can get them to do retellings. There are loads of options, but that's kind of like the core. Okay.、Um, principles. This is great. This is great because partly from a selfish point of view, I've never heard of this before, and I'm a methodology geek. So this is fantastic.、Mm-hmm. Uh, a new one. Can I recap really quickly on what, what sure, you sure. said, just to make sure I, I probably missed a couple of things? So、um, you start. I miss. Actually, you know what? I didn't write down the first first step because I got you got the PQA.、Uh-huh. PQA is the second step, isn't it? Yeah. So、right. it's the first step is new vocabulary. And、It's、vocabulary、um, input, sort of thing. Yeah,、uh-huh. and this is why I said at the beginning this is the canonical way because I always did it a bit differently.、Mm-hmm. I would introduce the vocabulary as we went in the story,、um, mm-hmm. but essentially it's introducing new language, personalized questions and answers, and then the story, like how- the three main steps. Okay, got it. And how would you how would you like、um, input the vocabulary? Do you just sort of Give it to them, or、um, I mean, obviously you can't do it with a complete beginner class.、Mm. But the way you know we often underestimate as teachers, we have if we're in a physical classroom, we have some amazing tools. One,、mm. we have gestures. Okay,、mm-hmm. so if I teach the word eat, I don't need to give a translation. I just show. I just mime. Right, I'm eating a, ha- a sandwich or something, or drink. Okay.、Yeah. And you can come up with creative ones. Like if I say die or kill, I <laughs> draw my thumb and go, you know.、Um, so there's gestures, there's pictures. Okay, so to avoid translating, you just draw a little picture. Like、mm-hmm. oh, he ate a burger, and then you draw a burger.、Um, and the other one is、uh, explaining. So if you、yeah. have a slightly high level student, you know, and this is what I do all the time on the podcast. Is you know, I say this word means blah 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 blah.、Um, and there's an art to that, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is this is a, this is where the skills as a teacher would come in,、um, and it looks like it might be the most demanding stage as well, I suppose.、Um, but cool. Okay, so you've got the vocab input, and you you mentioned the French word. My French sucks, so I couldn't remember it.、Uh, Assouris. <laughs> what does it mean again?、Uh, smiled. Smiled. Was that one word? Uh, two words. Yeah.、Okay. Yeah. So it's like has smiled. Literally.、Right. So because I, I started thinking, and I, I did a bunch of research before、um, this interview. You know, into SLA benefits of using stories and stuff like that. And one thing that keeps coming up again and again, which I really like, is it, there seems to be a sort of prevalence for、uh, chunking. You know what I mean? When、mm-hmm. you don't you don't isolate things into one words, but you sort of 
you, you try to get them into bits um, of of common language as much as possible, like phrases, exactly, and so on. Um, so is is that part of TPRS or yeah? Mm-hmm. One of the kind of key concepts with introducing languages. Don't teach grammar, teach phrases. Cool. Right? So, so you, you don't say, I'm going to teach them the past tense this term, because in a story, you you know, stories are about everything, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. you don't want to limit yourself. You're like, oh, well, I haven't introduced that grammar yet, so I can't have that happen in a story. No, introduce it in the story, and the students will understand it from context, because cool. there's really nothing in the brain that says, this is advanced grammar, this is simple grammar. There, there are obviously more complicated constructions but Mm. uh that's not a reason to necessarily hold something back deliberately um Mm -hmm. and and, you know especially with english like it's so much of just you know a grammar is it's 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 word order and it's phrases and combinations of words so yeah that's great um because yeah i see a lot in common here with um like lexical learning and and lexical teaching and you know this whole lexical methodology stuff it is very compatible with that by the sounds of it um cool then the personalized questions and answers that's that's pretty straightforward and then obviously the story is is the sort of centerpiece isn't it of the whole Mm -hmm. thing and with that i'm just trying to picture how a lesson would look so you you have this uh, vocab input and the personalized questions and answers and then like how much time is this sort of like the beginning and then the story is the main part? So here's the fantastic thing with TPRS. Mm-hmm. Once you get experience with it, you don't really have to plan classes. Mm-hmm. And that might sound insane, but I, <laughs> if I'm feeling confident, I can say I'm going to go in and uh, there's a teacher I really admire called Justin Slocum Bailey, who actually is a Latin teacher who uses TPRS. And I, I, he, I was at a conference last year where he was teaching Latin. And I mean, it was literally the most fun I've had in my life. <laughs> and you never thought I'd say, I never thought I'd say that about a Latin class. Um, but what he says is, he just comes into class with a question, mm. right? That he wants the students to answer. So the question might be, um, how long does everyone sleep generally? Do you sleep 10 hours? Do you sleep five hours? Okay, how much? And then based on that, you can ask the students, how much did you sleep last night? Are you sleeping well? Are you sleeping badly? What are the effects of this? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. You can make a story about someone who oversleeps or doesn't sleep. You know, there are just so many possibilities. And one of the key things is um, running with good ideas. Yeah. Right? So... It's really easy. I mean, you can script your stories beforehand and you can have it so that, you know, there's a set path, but then you accept some new ideas from the students or you can leave it completely where you're just like the students are going to provide all the ideas and you're just kind of taking the best ones and building a story off that. And when you run with it, I mean, an example is... um, For example, I was teaching a group of students from... um, Shanghai and they were all 20 but they they kind of <laughs> they were in the UK for a few weeks mm-hmm. and a lot of them didn't want to be there so we just I just made it very silly and like we were doing a story and um 
talking about a dog or something and then someone burped in the class or <laughs> and I was like oh okay do you know what that word is and I explained what the word burp was and they were, they were a bit like laughing about it and then I was like oh so the the dog the dog gave a big burp and then it became all about this burping dog and then later we acted out the story and I got the student to come up and burp. <laughs> but but the point is oh, fantastic. there have been times where I've planned a TPRS lesson I've done it okay so we're going to spend 10 minutes on new vocabulary 15 minutes on PQA, 45 minutes on a story, and that can work fantastically. But there are times where, you know, you're, you're doing PQA and you have such a good conversation with the students where you just let it run for like an hour, mm-hmm. or you're doing such a good story that you're like, well, screw these, you know, oh, sorry, don't know if I'm allowed to say rude words. Oh, say, um, what, say whatever you like. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> you know, forget about these other activities afterwards. We can do those tomorrow, but they're having fun now and they're really into it. So let's just keep doing this. Cool. I see. Wow. Again, it's starting to remind me of other things that I like, Uh, like, um, yeah. So, so far, everything you've described me, uh, we got this whole chunking stuff happening. So this is something that lexical learning um, sort of does as well. So that's like something very respectful there. Um, uh, there's also, I don't know if you know about this, there was a, a, a sort of huge st- educational study, I think it was, oh God, I'm going to show my lack of proper preparation here. I think it was mm-hmm. done in the 90s, it was uh, John Hattie, um, uh, Invisible, uh, sorry, Visible Learning. Um, um, it's... Is that, was it, can I ask, and maybe mm. this sounds like a bit of a weird question, mm-hmm. but um, was that a specifically a, a TEFL study or no. like an ESL study? No, no, oh, it was gen- okay, generally an educational one. So it, it didn't, it wasn't ESL specific. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah, got it. But it okay. was... Because I, I, mm. I often find there's there's quite like weird difference. Like I feel like the TEFL ESL researchers often just sort of are living in their own little world doing research on stuff. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, using do. terms in different ways, and it's a bit crazy sometimes. That, that, yeah, I, I think sometimes, certainly, that that is the case. But, um, yeah, so uh, this is like a huge meta study, and it, it basically sort of worked, uh, discovered, or tried to discover what was most impactful for learning, what created the best impact. Mm-hmm. And he, he just went through all these small, tiny, like, little micro features of teaching and language learning and context or whatever. And one, one pattern that emerged that I found quite interesting was um, methodologies and approaches weren't such a big influence, but um, what, I mean, a lot of them were, but surprisingly what came out on top was uh, the relationship with the teacher and the sort of energy um, that the teacher sort of evokes in the students. And I think this is, this is, touching on that as well because you have this sort of you know the teacher's role is very um engaged and engaging Mm -hmm. um and i guess it sounds like tprs is something you just can't do without being engaging Um, exactly yeah and that was the the second one and the third thing if i may just just uh make the last one um there's a lot of sort of dogma principles in here as well um yeah it, absolutely mm. it's very it's very dogma 95 or yeah, whatever that yeah. thing was called and 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 i think it it, it gets a bad rap and there are there are parts you know there are there, honestly i've it's it's much more well known in america but there are parts mm. of the country like there are parts of california where if you mention tprs you get kicked out that you know you get booed out the the room oh, really? they, they won't they won't accept it people have very visceral responses um because i think fundamentally a lot of people kind of understand that the traditional grammar method 
doesn't work because if you look at the statistics mm. i mean you look at the amount of students who come out of school and they can actually use the language they were learning it's mm-hmm. very very low but i think a lot of people maybe it sounds cynical a lot of people i feel like they're trying to you know gatekeep it and and keep it this traditional way where it's you know all based about the love of the language and the love of grammar and i think mm. that's that's fine for you know the 1% of people that actually works for there was actually a study that looked at um the amount of students in america who learn a foreign language who actually speak it after they graduate and i think it was like less than 1% I think it was 0.01%, which means that in a class of 30 students, there is a good chance that zero of them will ever use the language after they graduate. Um, which imagine imagine if that was the case for mathematics. I mean, it's mm. unbelievable. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, or pretty much any other subject. Um, yeah, and is that is that high school or is that university students? High school. Wow, yeah. okay, it's still pretty bad, yeah. Um, it sounds a bit like England as well, because yeah. the Brits aren't great either at learning languages. Um, but um, yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, uh, emerging language and dogma. Yeah, I like, the, I like the idea of that. So you have this very flexible class. Um, and then the story, the story part. Uh, so you let the students uh, sort of create it themselves. Is that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, with these. So the, the, it, you're kind of the mediator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some. This is the best thing is when you know the answer, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you've kind of planned a bit ahead, and you know. Okay, so for example, like I wrote a script for a story where it's like a student wants a pet, so he goes to the zoo and he looks at a bunch of different animals to decide which one is going to be his pet. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's mm-hmm. all that I planned. So I say, okay. Okay, class, so Bob really wants a pet, but he doesn't know. Does he want a cat? Does he want a dog? What should he do? Where can he go? And they're like, you know, giving all these things. That, oh, he goes to the pet shop. I'm like, no, the pet, sh- no, the pet shop isn't good. At- <laughs> like, I know he's going to the zoo, right? But uh... I'm pretending. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm holding the suspense so that when one of them suggests it, I'm like, oh, that's an amazing idea. They think it's their idea. Right, it's, it's a very, it's a very yeah. sneaky tactic, but it works really well. Well, I guess it can go either way as well because they may, they may think it's their idea, but also maybe it's like you're gamifying it a little, exactly, and they kind of actually have to guess what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be fun too. I guess either way, whether they figured it out or not, um, there are benefits there. But yeah, Hobson's choice. Yeah, yeah. there's one of these again mentioning. Justin Slocum Bailey, who's like, he's amazing. He has a really amazing blog. Um, I believe it's called Indwelling Language. Let me just search it quickly. Indwelling Language. Uh, It's an awesome name. Yeah. He's he's an amazing person. You know when you meet someone and you think like, oh, this person is amazing. And then... they have like a really touching personal life story as well. You're like, oh, mm. you're just perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. in indwellinglanguage.com. Indwellinglanguage.com. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I will probably, it just occurred to me, but I'll probably just put any links and any anything mm-hmm. we mention on the show, the show notes for the, for the podcast. This yeah. will be the first time I've done that. It's kind of obvious. I should have been doing that from the beginning. No, it's, <laughs> there are so many things like that when you're like, oh, yeah, I should do that. Yeah. Um, but he, he talks about um, making lemonade. And okay. what he means by that is very often when you're teaching, you have all your stuff planned out and then something unexpected happens mm. and you can try and pretend like it isn't happening or you can roll with it, right? Mm-hmm. So you're teaching and then suddenly the door opens and it's like, 
uh, oh, there's a, a new student joining or um, the fire bell rings or, <laughs> you know, there's a really loud bird outside. And what, what, what making lemonade is, is like, for example, with Justin, it was amazing because we were in this conference in the south of France and it was in this little, you know, French town. And so we were in the classroom and then at some point the, the bell tower rang and when it rang, he went, <gasps> and he pressed himself against the wall and he said in Latin, it's the hour of death. <laughs> so dramatically and then you're like oh my god and so as a student you don't get distracted by this noise you're like you get gripped by it so like it can be literally anything in the class but it's amazing how much fun you can have just by playing with things yeah yeah, yeah. and it's, it's it's yeah this all sounds like it's very related to play which is something we kind of have sort of generally in, in in the teaching world have sort of neglected and forgotten about um mm. over the years um over the last couple of hundred years and um that's nice yeah you're bringing this sort of spontane spontaneity this sort of mm-hmm. dra- drama cool I the put- thing about lang- language and play i just want to tell you yeah, and yeah. this is a, another thing that justin said so i don't want people to think this is my original idea <laughs> but um the original word for school in latin was um ludus which Ooh. means game. And they, they, they later took the word from Greek, which is scola. But um, mm. originally the word for game and school were the same, which I think is really interesting. That, I think, I might work that into the title of this podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah, Ludus, was it? Yes. yes. Oh, I better, I hope I didn't get that wrong. Oh, Justin, well, don't judge me. <laughs> I'll check, I'll check it, don't worry. And it reminds me, we um, also have the, the game Ludo, which now I know mm-hmm. why it's called that. Um, but okay, I love that. Yeah, the, the word, the original word for school was the same word as game. And I think we should all learn something from that. Um, mm. That's something, that's a good takeaway. Um, this is great. I was going to ask you a whole bunch of questions about sort of SLA and, and the sort of research and the benefits and the, the issues with like storytelling and language, but you've just opened this up into something much, much cooler. Um, we can, before we, before we like wrap up, we, we could uh, like, there are a couple of questions I still quite like to ask actually. Um, mm-hmm, of course. So going into a little bit into the nitty gritty, um, there's basically one question in this area that I want to ask you. Is, uh, why is storytelling so beneficial to learning? Mm-hmm. So, Stephen, I'm a big, big fan of Stephen <laughs> Krashen. Uh-huh. And um, I really, I for many reasons, I mean, one of the great things he does is he publishes a lot of his research, a lot of his books for free mm-hmm. on his website, sdcrashen.com which is for an academic is just fantastic yeah yeah. i really recommend his website also benny co mason has done a lot of research into reading and using storytelling in class um she actually invented a method called story listening which is similar to tprs but it's more like you telling a story to the class and drawing pictures to explain it and kind of Mm. fairy tales and stuff like that Mm. and she had a huge success with that in japan in the universities so um, recently, the kind of the research in this area has converged on an idea of input needs to be comprehensible, but also compelling. Mm. 
Mm. And what does that mean? It needs to be relevant to the student. It needs to be varied and it needs to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can get compelling input in a variety of ways. But I'm sure, as you know, when you go to a textbook for a a normal language learning textbook, the texts you find inside are usually pretty dull. You know, okay, we're going to talk about 10 holiday destinations or uh, an interview with an actor that's 20 years out of date. And, you know, for some people that may really interest them, but you, you can't know what someone's interests are. What we do know is that stories are completely universal. They are understood you don't have to explain the idea of a story to someone right every culture has myths and these common stories these common ideas that appear a lot they you start telling someone a story and and they're just immediately hooked um even if it's a really simple one and they contain a much broader variety of language, especially that's why reading is so valuable because the language is very rich. You can read faster than you can listen. And um, I don't know, there's a lot of research into reading. Like there was a talk I was watching the other day from Stephen Krashen about how reading links to every... When you look at um, people who grow up in poverty, the fact, the number one factor that determines how likely they are to go to prison, how likely they are to go to university, how likely they mm-hmm. are to be financially... It, the, it's reading. It's the one thing. It's how much access do they have to books mm. at a young age. Well, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is touching on some of the stuff I kind of unearthed while I was researching this episode. Um, yeah, the, the benefits to reading fiction over nonfiction are quite powerful. Um, mm. it, it can reduce loneliness. Um, it can increase your sense of empathy. It can increase your social mm-hmm. skills. It can uh, reduce your, your prejudice uh, and your prejudices. Um, and yeah, it's, it, and it also has cognitive benefits as well that nonfiction doesn't, which is quite surprising because one thinks that they're learning something mm-hmm. with nonfiction. I mean, obviously nonfiction does have its own cognitive benefits. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I knew that reading stories and reading fiction was a good thing but I never realized it was quite so powerful and I didn't realize about this crash in research either that it can be an indicator even of, of, of yeah. what, what will happen to you in your life mm-hmm. <laughs> also on a really fun note they, there's even some studies where they look at um, okay let's say you you're learning English because you want to you're, you're, you're studying as a scientist how much how, man, how much scientific vocabulary can you learn from reading science fiction novels it mm. turns out if you read enough science, you know, there was one study that I think found that students who read, I don't know, 10 or 20 science fiction novels, they learned the 400, you know, very specific words they needed, like for space physics and stuff. I, I don't know that's a really mm-hmm. misinterpretation of the study, but but you can find the details. Okay. It's, one of the, it's mentioned on uh, Krashen's website. And it's just so interesting that fiction actually really, ha- yeah, has all of these benefits mm. and the reason I do my podcast, the reason I teach with them is it's all kind of a bridge, right? Because a, a lot of people have a lot of hang-ups about reading, especially in a foreign language. But if you start off with these easy, comforting stories and you invite them in and you hold their hand, yeah. then that naturally segues into them reading for pleasure from their own uh, stead. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And you've also got my, my brain fired a bit here because... Um, yeah, like if you're, if you've got a student, one of my, my biggest nightmares, I'll admit this now, is, um, 
when I have a student who who just needs business English, and you know that's fine, yeah. <laughs> they, they do need business English, and I respect that because they they need to get this for their job and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I I feel a bit like a bit lost with the whole business English stuff because I've never worked for a corporation. Yes, um, but then this is a great. Um, like a it's potential a ca- great counterpoint. Give them a mm-hmm. piece of fiction set in a corporation that talks exactly. About give them thing. legal thrillers. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, give them there. There are so many thrillers set in companies, and also um, there's quite a lot of research that shows that fiction contains about eighty-five to ninety percent of the words on academic word lists. So mm-hmm. actually, the difference between academic or business language and language and fiction it's not Mm. a huge gap Mm. so that can all be potentially acquired uh without having to do like uh, academic english course book or or something like that Mm -hmm. exactly i got one more question um so we're talking a lot about input and comprehension and all of this stuff and looking at the tprs um sort of like lesson flow that you described um it's all good but it's all quite i mean there's some output and there's some participation but i'm just wondering at the end of the story do you have something that sort of wraps it up where the students can sort of consolidate all the stuff they've learned themselves you know some sort of perhaps a communicative task or or a writing task or something Mm -hmm. like that is there a sort of fourth section mm -hmm. the kind of like Traditional TPRS is there's a really heavy focus on not forcing students to speak until they're ready. Mm. And what I find is in the lower levels, there are a lot of students who they really appreciate. It's like, oh, my God, I don't have to Mm -hmm. speak. You know, it's like this huge pressure is taken off them and they can speak as much as they want. As soon as it gets to, you know, intermediate level, students are interacting a lot because they're giving ideas for the stories. And often it just turns into like a, a discussion. And then, you know, they're speaking a lot without worrying about it Um, when it comes to writing it's it's hard because you don't want it to make you don't want them to feel like they're being examined because that's really not the purpose of the approach a lot of teachers use free writing so you set a timer usually for five minutes or ten minutes and you just say okay in this time you're gonna write continuously don't stop write about (laughs) what's Ever you want mm. tell a story write about what you ate for breakfast and then that's a great if you you know a lot of teachers they use it as a way of accountability because they work in a school and they want you know they need some kind of grade book or whatever so they do it once a week and then they say okay at the beginning of the year uh, jenny could write 50 words in spanish in five minutes at the end of the year she can write 170 words in spanish in five minutes and mm-hmm. then you have a very tangible Uh, if you need to yeah if you need to sort of prove something because Mm -hmm. we live in a system where that happens a lot exactly that's so cool um i had a thought it's gone give me a second (laughs) it's gonna come it's okay um it's about the speaking after oh yeah the um this whole thing again you're you're not putting any pressure on the students uh to speak and yeah again there are two things this reminded me of obviously um, Krashen's um, effective filter, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's come across like some sort of uh, resistance but in, in some corners, but perfect acceptance in others. But I think everyone can more or less agree that generally you don't want stressed <laughs> students. Um, yeah. So this. I mean, I see a that. lot of 
straight mm. up traumatize students. <laughs> students who, if you mm. speak too quickly, they block themselves and they cannot comprehend yeah. a single word for like 10 minutes. Like, and that's not a healthy. Not and good. it just says, yeah. well, what, what's been happening in these schools? Like, how is that, you know, that, that I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. So, yeah. You don't want to speak, damn you, speak. Like, not, yeah. no, no culture like that. I, I think that's important. And we, it's true that like, with the sort of dominance of communicative language teaching, which I think there's a lot, like, yeah, it's mostly good. But um, there is this sort of thing, isn't there, where, where the students, like, kind of have to speak. They must speak or, or they mm. they die. Like, it's, it's yeah, th- I like this, that it, it's rethinking that. And obviously the other thing I was going to say that it reminded me of is that it, obviously TPR does that as well, doesn't it? Like, mm-hmm. you're not encouraged to speak. You speak when you're ready kind of thing. Exactly. And it makes a great, you know, filler activity. That's the thing, right? You come, brain breaks are very popular among TPRS teachers. So maybe after you do the PQA, they've been sitting down for a while, you get them to stand up, do a little game, you know, there are so many ways to add in these different stages that just allow lots of different levels of interaction that Mm. kind of suit different people's personalities as well. So if you have a chatty class, you can just adapt for that Mm. and so on. Yeah. This is really cool. Well, thanks, thanks so much for like letting me know about all of this stuff. I, I'm gonna. That's ju- all right. I'm, I'm gonna look into this after. Go on YouTube. This. You know what? Just go on YouTube and type TPRS because TPRS teachers. Mm-hmm like me that we're all weird fanatics we love talking about it there are so many people who record their classes and put them on youtube they're like oh look at me teaching so i don't you don't get that i mean you don't really get that with like grammar teachers right they're very right. like look at me teaching no but with like tprs we love showing off so i guess yeah i guess it attracts a certain personality of teacher doesn't it and that that's compatible with a youtuber um and and someone who's good at the social media thing it, I, i'm I'm tempted by it too, actually, because I'm, I, I think I'm a bit like that also. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is great. Um, I, we, we covered, like, easily covered everything I wanted to talk about and much, much Fantastic. more. Um, before we finish, uh, last question. Uh, two tips. Two tips for English teachers out there, um, maybe even especially teachers who, who are maybe a, a sort of less, less sort of uh, extroverted. Um, like two tips to take away two takeaways um slow down my <laughs> god just if you ever feel like oh i'm just talking and the students don't get it they don't get it you're probably talking too fast and i say this is someone i speak so fast and it <laughs> took me so long to and i'm obviously right now this is way faster than i would ever speak with a beginner class mm-hmm. one of the tprs teachers i think it was blaine ray who said um imagine that every word is a gold coin dropping out of your mouth um and it really it mm. really if you focus on okay above all I'm just going to focus on being clear and comprehensible. That is going to be the strongest foundation for everything, whatever method you teach with. Okay, yeah. so remember the gold coin analogy. That's a good takeaway. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the second tip, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I only had one in mind. Um, bring. Let's say you're going to go down the road of TPRS. And I know a lot of teachers who shy away from it because they mm-hmm. say oh i'm i'm not you know that outgoing that's mm-hmm. not my personality mm-hmm. there is there are so many different types of tprs teachers and there are plenty of tprs teachers who have more of a quiet personality mm-hmm. and as long as you've got that foundation of 
you can grade your language to be comprehensible to any level of student. You can uh, provide compelling input that, you know, you genuinely enjoy and the students genuinely enjoy then the rest is just your personality. And for me, I love going in with an unplanned lesson and doing this and that. For some teachers, they love to write a story and work with it with the class and, you know, take a more quiet approach. There really are so many different ways of approaching it. But I will say fundamentally, my personal belief is Mm. it has to be based on the theory of comprehensible input because I truly believe it is... Maybe this sounds dogmatic, but I truly believe it is just factual proof that that is the even if other techniques can work in some circumstances you never meet someone who's extremely fluent in a language who hasn't had hundreds or thousands of hours of comprehensible input yeah okay well that's that's great so um slow down and remember i plus one comprehensible input Mm -hmm. yeah cool well in that case ariel thanks so much that was really really enlightening and um yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Okay. And that was it. My conversation with Ariel Goodbody. Uh, a couple of links here. Um, here Ariel's website uh, and podcast you can listen to at easystoriesinenglish.com. All one word, Easy Stories in English. Uh, there's a bunch of other links that I'd like to add. They're on the show notes for this episode. You can download them at clarkandmiller.com um, and just click on the podcast um, part of the menu and you'll, you'll find the show notes. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's everything. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I really enjoyed that one, as usual. No, another fascinating and interesting conversation with a fascinating and interesting person. And uh, yeah, next uh, next podcast episode, we'll go for some blue action. Um, we'll have a blue episode and it will be a bit more student friendly. So until then, take care and have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful evening and just be wonderful. Until then. Thank you.